Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in for what I honestly think is one of my favorite episodes I've ever done. But just quickly before we jump into it, I wanted to announce that I've started a Patreon where you can uh, sign up and support the show. There's a couple of options to choose from, $5 a week or $2 a week. Lots of people say this, but I guess it's basically deciding if you get one nice coffee or half a nice coffee's value out of the show. Or if you don't drink coffee, maybe like a little hot chockey or something. The reason I started it is because I want to start taking a couple of days off work and moving to releasing two episodes per week. So instead of just one show releasing every Monday, we might do like a Monday and a Thursday episode or or whatever day it ends up being. And, And look, if enough people sign up, I'd even look at like three episodes a week and maybe bringing on a couple of co-hosts and, and trying to do four or five episodes a week. It's basically just so I can start making as much content as I possibly can for you guys instead of sort of squeezing in an episode every Sunday on my day off. At the end of the day, I honestly just love making this podcast. And after some messages on Instagram from a few of my really loyal listeners encouraging me to do so, I decided to try and make it more of a full-time thing. Every single cent will go directly towards making more content. Don't worry, I'm not going to go and blow it by going out and getting drunk on the weekends or, or buying a massive holiday house in Noosa, even though during a cold Ballarat winter, that is literally the dream. I'll also add some Patreon-exclusive content over there, like shorter episodes, Q&As. Um, I might even look to get like a regular guest on who I do like a little mini spin-off show over there that's like 20 to 30 minutes long every week. Um, maybe some chat that's a, a little bit too risque for the mainstream show. You know, I'm just trying to trying to make it a place where there's as much content as, I, uh, as is humanly possible as well as, as really, really supporting me to make more episodes that are available to everyone, whether you do or don't sign up for Patreon. And I'd also like to give you a shout out on an episode if you do sign up as a, a Patreon member, because it really does mean that much to me that, that if everyone can know you are part of the reason the show is growing and expanding and you're allowing me to, to do that, uh, I, think, I think you deserve that. Um, of course, if you just want to you know, sign up quietly to support the show, just send me a message on Patreon or Instagram and, and let me know that you don't want your name shared out on an episode and I'll thank you there over that message just so you, know, you do still know how much it means to me. The link to sign up will be in the description of this week's episode or linked in the bio on the How They Train Instagram account. So seriously, if you do sign up, I love you and I appreciate it. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to How They Train. Today I'm joined by pro triathlete Kyle Smith. Kyle and I have been trying to organize this episode for literally like six or seven weeks and have probably messaged each other more than we do our girlfriends at this point trying to make it happen. But uh, yeah, we're finally here. The main reason I really wanted to get Kyle on was to chat about him being at the front of the Ironman World Champs for about six hours and and being solo and in the lead early on the run and and talk all about his training in the lead up to that and, and the race day itself. And we will get to that. But I reckon, Kyle, maybe we start by chatting about what you've been up to at the moment because I think everyone will be really interested to hear about it, and I know I am. Hey, Jack. Thank you so much for having me on the pod, mate. Uh, yeah, it's been a, been a long time in the making, but uh, hopefully good things are worth waiting for, eh? Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I'm in uh, Andorra at the moment, up on the mountain, and I guess the reason why this has taken so long is because we kind of uh, came full training camp mode. Um, so I'm Jan Ferdinand's training partner, um, and so we... Uh, packed up the cars a couple of weeks ago and we headed up here and we came into a place that literally had yeah bare necessity so we had a bed uh enough one pan kind of thing and 
and we just came on training camp. Uh, yeah, there was no hot water when we first got here, no Wi-Fi. Uh, it was proper bare minimum. But yeah, we've slowly, slowly been. Uh, we've got Wi-Fi now, uh, hence why we're on this uh, podcast. And hopefully uh, for all the listeners, it's uh, good quality Wi-Fi as well. Um, and now we've got water as well. So yeah, it's uh, we're living like kings up here. So how did that start? Like, how did it come about that you end up uh, in a training camp in the mountains with Jan Fredino? So it actually started like after the Collins Cup. I met Jan at the Collins Cup and, and we got along really well. Um, and then I went to, I was supposed to go to 70.3 Worlds, but I had a big hematoma on my hip and just decided that I wasn't going to be fighting ready for the 70.3 Worlds just after my crash at the Collins Cup. I was pretty banged up. And so then, yeah, I was in Barcelona at the airport, actually, and I, I couldn't really walk around. And so I decided to, instead of getting a train to the US, uh, a plane to the US, I got a train to Girona and found a place to stay. And it actually ended up being outside of Jan's Cafe, um, staying at a friend's place there. And I woke up one morning for an early morning run and kind of rolled out and Jan was rolling out as well. So, yeah, we just uh, bumped into each other and he obviously thought I was racing in the US and um so we just got chatting and said yeah we'll go for a run and we just had a good laugh really like uh he's got a really good sense of kind of kiwi australian humor and um yeah uh so we just got along like a house on fire and that one run turned into hey come for a ride tomorrow or whatever um and so we went for a ride and then that ride turned into hey we're swimming tomorrow at nine or and so then we ended up just kind of like rolling into the training together and then he was getting ready for ironman california and uh he didn't have a training partner at the time so i said oh well i'm um i might as well train with you uh, and so we kind of like started training it kind of informally together for when he was doing ironman california um and then yeah after after we got back from break after that uh we were both racing st george and so we were like well i'm going to be here for the winter so yeah why don't we just uh i guess get on the same program and yeah, help each other and hopefully uh, take on the world. And so when you say get on the same program, do you mean that you were like with a different coach and doing your own thing and, and you would like you would just jump in to yarn session sort of when it was similar to what you were doing and and then you made the decision to get on the exact same program as yarn? Like you just do whatever yarn says or are you just coached by the same coach as yarn? Yeah, so uh, I still have my own coach, Tim. Uh, so he's been my coach for six or seven years. And we decided that that's probably the best move because, you know, jumping in from what my training was into Jan's training was probably going to be a big jump for me. Um, so, yeah, we decided to keep my coach just to keep a handle and keep the reins pulled back. So I'm quite prone to just jumping in the deep end and just full sending it and then getting myself in a world of trouble. But uh, it ended up actually working all right. So, yeah, as the kind of training progressed, I adapted really well. And and basically, we just did every session together. So basically, Jan's coach sends the uh, the week structure to my coach, and then my coach just tailors that. But it usually works out that we do every session together. But now we're up here, like actually in the mountains and actually on training camp, we just do yeah everything together on the same program. And so how long exactly have you been training with Jan for now? Uh, so that started in uh, October. Um, so yeah, I guess what's that? Six, seven months now. Oh, actually, maybe more than that. Yeah, maybe, so maybe like nine months. Yeah, yeah. So uh, time flying, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's been super good actually. Um, and yeah, I've really surprised myself with how much my body can handle. 
Uh, obviously, yeah, I'm still quite young for this Ironman game. And so there's still like a lot of learning to be had. And But it's been uh, actually surprised myself. And yeah, like you alluded to earlier, I found myself at the front of the race in, um, in St. George. And yeah, so hopefully then we can do 37 more Ks in the lead of the run in Kona. <laughs> so when you started like officially training with Yarm, like, we're, hey, we're doing pretty much the same stuff. What were the differences that you made compared to what you were doing when you weren't training with Yarn and you were just working with your coach, Tim? It was actually more of a time thing. So like in my whole career, for one reason or another, um, I'd always had quite a short time frame to get ready for a race. So back in 2020, 2021, I was still working. So yeah, I'd be working uh, and then I'd be like, okay, now I've got to get ready for this race. I've got four weeks. So I just go full send for four weeks and kind of like throw an egg at the wall and hope it didn't break. Um, and yeah, and usually I'd end up getting sick or I generally didn't get injured at touch wood. I'm quite good about that. Like I'm quite resilient, but I generally end up getting sick. So yeah, just having that time frame of, okay, we're sitting here in October, St. George's in May, we've got six months to get ready for this race. How does the structure look? And um, I was actually kind of sitting there kind of almost that first day of school uh, rolling in on a Monday morning and I was bricking it. I was thinking, oh man, this is going to be the hardest training I've ever done. And actually it was a massive surprise where it was almost quite anticlimactic that it was sort of like, oh, today wasn't that hard or this week wasn't that hard. And, and then Jan was like, mate, it's all about consistency and it's all about just layering on, layering on, layering on. And he's been super good like that because I, yeah, like I said, for just full send into everything that I do. So I just want to train the house down. And it was quite like he used the brave heart uh, analogy of when they're standing on the front line, just shouting, hold, hold, hold. So yeah, for about two or three months there, it was kind of just like that. We were just rolling through the training. Nothing was super hard. Nothing was um, to smash your head in. And it was just building that building like brick upon brick upon brick. And then, yeah, suddenly I found myself in pretty good form come uh, February time. And then, uh, yeah, I was honestly in the, in the best form I'd ever been in in February. And then uh, I was really happy. And then unfortunately got COVID and, and, and one thing after another. And yeah, it sort of uh, didn't turn up into St. George in the best shape that I wanted to turn up, but definitely uh, confident that doing that again for the next block would be, um, would be good coming around to the next races in the season. I think everyone might be like somewhat surprised to hear that, that, that like young New Zealand triathlete Kyle Smith, who maybe wasn't that well known outside of Australia or New Zealand shows up to like, you know, multiple time Ironman world champion and Olympic gold medalist Jan Fredino's training and, and thinks, Oh, this is actually pretty easy. Like people would, there's a lot of hyperbole around triathlon training, like, and certain people for whatever reason get sort of put on this like uh, pedestal a little bit, like, oh, they must be doing something crazy that I don't know about or that I couldn't do or or there's secrets. Um, and then every single time you actually talk to someone, you they, they just think that's like, they just, they they go the opposite. Like Jan would tell everyone, oh, like I don't do anything special. There's no secrets. Like great Australian triathlete Craig Alexander always says that. He always says there's no secrets in triathlon. It's it's just hard work and, and consistency and and then eventually, if you stick at it, you'll you'll get there. Um, and that sort of seems to be what you're saying as well. Um, and and so, I guess take us a little bit more into that. Like, 
What specifically kind of kind of things were you doing? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm not sure saying Crowey didn't do anything insane. I listened to the pod about him doing 40 whatever hour weeks. <laughs> I, I was sitting Crowley. there like, oh my, I'm so glad that I didn't do triathlon 12 years ago. It's kind of changed a little bit now. Crowey, Crowey and Macca, just that era of Australian triathlon, they have warped perceptions. Like they, they think small weeks are 30 hour weeks and hearing <laughs> Crowey talk about the four or five, no, five weeks he did of 40 plus hours, five weeks in a row. Maybe maybe yeah, his yeah, yeah. isn't hyperbole, quite hyperbole. <laughs> tough word. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think so. I think uh, those performances didn't come out of nowhere, and obviously, like he's a special athlete to be able to do that, and uh, definitely looked after his body. But I think the insane thing about what Jan does is like it's just how consistent he can be, and that's that comes back to the it's the control, it's the you know no session is to the wall you're never going to put yourself in an absolute hole um and then to the nth degree which he looks after his body as well you know he's he's 40 going on 41 but you know i think his biological age would be you know someone in their low 30s because you know the a freaky the way he eats the way just how clean he is um and also, yeah, the way he looks after his body, the recovery that he's doing, I guess a bit like Crowey too. Like I remember listening to that saying that like he spent every waking moment outside of training trying to recover. And, and that's the same as Jan. And I guess that's why these guys become so great is because there's nothing insane in training, but all of the training is just layered upon layered upon layered. So when you get four weeks out from a race, it does look insane. But it's uh, it's been built upon, built upon, built upon. So it doesn't actually feel like it's uh, a massive jump. And just to take that into context, like, so I raced at George and then I raced um, Challenge Samarin and I was a, in a pretty big hole after those two <laughs> races. I got pretty run down. And, um, and then I took about two weeks off and I came back. And when I came back, it was the hardest training I had ever done. <laughs> like it, I was just getting my head kicked in every day. But for Jan, obviously, because built upon a build upon that's been slowly building for that for five or six months it's um you know adding maybe one more rep to this session or a couple more reps to this session and and yeah um but again it's not super dissimilar to what we were doing what i was doing two years ago it's the same principles it's you know you you do your efforts at ironman pace you might do uh you know on the bike some strength efforts and then an hour at Ironman pace and then some more efforts after the Ironman pace and just kind of building upon that and just becoming comfortable that and efficient at what Ironman pace is and I think you know watching Lionel's uh, Lionel Sanders YouTube channel and uh, talking to Gustav and talking to what they're we're kind of all in around the same thing and what we're all doing was kind of like we're all just trying to become really efficient at Ironman pace and become make Ironman pace as easy as possible. So it's just a lot of time spent at, at that. And obviously if you come, you know, if you come cold Turkey and you come and try and ride on the trainer doing, you know, two hours worth of 70.3 pace or two hours worth of uh, Ironman pace, it's going to kick your head in. But once you've built that, build up on that, starting off with, you know, I don't know, it might be 10 by five minutes at Ironman pace and then you start building it, building it, building it, then it becomes quite tolerable when you actually uh, uh, come to execute those big sessions come a month out from the race. And so how much like weekly volume would you guys do at the moment? 
I think I actually have no idea. I don't really keep uh, a look at that, to be honest. Like I just kind of wake up in the morning and like literally at the moment it's like wake up and I'm like, hey, bro, <laughs> what have we got today kind of thing, um, which is the way I like it actually because sometimes there's some pretty uh, big sessions that might keep you awake at night. But um, yeah, I think it'll be around, it'll be in and around 30, 32 hours a week. Um, yeah, it's nothing nothing too extreme but also i mean 32 hours of of quality work is yeah definitely a, a big one like for example uh so today's a recovery day and last night we were both just curtains eh? we had a we had dinner and we're basically me Jan, and Jan's physio were all just kind of sitting there and about five words were uttered. We were all just shells. And so I um, actually don't know what his physio's excuse was. <laughs> he wasn't doing 32 hours, but we were all just shells. And so it's kind of like, yeah, it's been a big week. Um, definitely uh, ready for ready for today. To be fair, probably a pretty like, sometimes when you do lots of nothing, you're just as fucked as someone who's done lots of like something hard. Like his physio, what does he do for the 32 hours you guys are trained? Just like sit on the couch? Like, He's up on the the mountains. Like I'm assuming he doesn't have much to do up there. Yeah, uh, he's actually very active, to be honest. Because obviously he he's almost like a swanier as well. If you're familiar with the cycling terms, he's kind of like yeah, he'll go to the supermarket and and do the shopping. Right. Um, we all we all take our turns cooking. Um, so yeah, he'll do this, uh, shopping. But to be honest, I think he'll just be yeah, just be getting ready for whatever he'll be. Um, you're getting ready for doing another treatment for yarn when he gets back or something like that. So he's actually doing quite a bit and he's quite busy. He also plays beach volleyball too. So he's found a beach volleyball club here. So he goes there, I think every day he's training and uh, yeah, he loves it. Um, he also takes the dogs for a walk or goes for a run himself. So he's actually really busy. <laughs> I'm a bit, a bit cruel there, but uh, but yeah, he's, he's really good. And so it's just you three in the mountains on training camp. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, uh, I made a joke about it the other day. It's like you've seen Broadback Mountain, and this is the this is the sequel. <laughs> the three guys in a mountain. No, uh... <laughs> that's a pretty big uh, revelation. Not what I was expecting, but whatever you guys do on training camp, that's up to you. Consenting adults. No, no, <laughs> no. Just I'm just taking the bus. Uh, no, it's uh, it's 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 fun, man. It's uh, yeah, we're just here to get the hard work done, I guess, and. Uh, yeah, when you come up here and like you say, living with bare minimums, you know that you've come here to get the work done. And yeah, here is just the best place to train. The running's amazing, as you can imagine, and the riding's just spectacular. It's like one big scale electric track for cyclists. You know, it's just this climbs out the wazoo. The cyclists out the wazoo. Um, like yesterday we did a ride and uh, rode with Cam Worth, and uh, also then we rode with Tom Pickcock as well. So. Yeah, kind of uh, holding your own on some descents with those boys is uh, it's pretty fun. Right. Take us into that because, like, I'm fascinated by that. I know everyone else will be. Are they just there on, like, a Team Ineos training camp for something and, and you just happen to run into them or did you sort of organise to meet up and train together with Cam? Yeah, so uh, a lot of those guys live here, actually. So a lot of pro cyclists live here in the mountains. Um, obviously, like I was saying, it's like a mecca for cyclists here in the summer. Um, but... Yeah, so we decided, uh, well, we wanted to catch up with Cam. Uh, we've been trying to catch up with him for a while, and so yesterday was a perfect day. So we rode out to meet him, and then we were going up a climb, and, and then Tom was coming the other way. So Tom turned around and came for a ride, and I think he's, there was his first ride back after COVID, and he still <laughs> it looked a lot too easy on the climbs. But, um, 
he's getting ready for the Tour de France and uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of riders here because actually the tour comes obviously through the Pyrenees and so these are a lot of like last year a lot of the stages came up with some of these climbs that we were doing um, so they all just train here and get ready for the big races. Um, but yeah, there's honestly so many cyclists here and everyone kind of trains together too. It's almost like I guess triathletes are gaining a lot of respect <clears throat> amongst the pro ranks, amongst the pro cyclist ranks. I think in part because of I guess they see how well we're doing and um and also obviously riders like cam and and a few others that are you know holding their own in the world tour and also crossing over to triathlon it's um we're getting a lot of respect and within the pro peloton which is actually pretty cool um and then yeah like uh riding yesterday and you kind of show the guys how adapt we are and and how good we are as actual cyclists and um that the stereotype of triathletes not being able to ride bikes or whatever is uh, maybe a little outdated now. Yeah. So when you're there and you're riding like through the mountains of Andorra and you're riding with professional cyclists, like Tom is one of the best cyclists in the world and, and, and we all know about Cam Worth. Um, when you're, when you're riding with them, like, are you guys just going and doing five to six hour long rides through the mountains where, you know, you, you're riding pretty solid up, up the climbs and then, and then cruising a little bit on the descents or like what kind of stuff are you guys actually doing when you're riding together? Yes. Yesterday was just three hours. So it's just actually, it was a recovery ride for those guys. It was just a pretty cruisy climb, a pretty cruisy ride, but on, on every climb, it's pretty hard not to be riding solid just to keep moving. Yeah. You're all literally almost Ironman pace just to keep moving up some of the climbs. I had to fit a bigger cassette on, on the bikes yesterday just to uh, save the knees a little bit um but yeah like those guys just yeah they ride um around here but uh yeah they just tool up these climbs six seven hours i did six hours last week and you almost do four thousand meters of climbing it's just insane um and it's just super easy to train the time just flies by when you've got okay for the next hour and a half i'm going to be climbing up this massive mountain to the top of this station somewhere and yeah you just pinch yourself really the views are incredible i'm so fortunate to be able to be in this position where i can yeah be in the mountains training with some of the best athletes in the world and definitely if you told me 12 months ago or 18 months ago when i left new zealand uh i literally left new zealand with a backpack and a cardboard box with a bike in it that you know 18 months uh, down the line i'll be in the mountains training with yarn and training with guys like tom pickock i would never have believed you um but yeah, it's definitely a, a pinch yourself kind of moment when you're when you're training amongst them. But equally, it's quite, I guess, uh, I don't want to say leveling, um, but when you get to know these guys and you kind of you feel like you belong um, because you realise that there's no such thing, I guess, as superhumans. They're just normal guys who are extremely good at their jobs. Um, and they don't put themselves on pedestals. And then so then therefore it kind of takes them off your pedestal if that makes sense too like i've obviously pedestaled all these guys for years and then when you start living with them and training with them and and then that almost becomes like oh yeah i can do this too and yeah you start believing that i can win a world champs one day and 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 hopefully you know follow in the footsteps and and just do everything day to day to be able to do that and then kind of once you start believing it's quite a powerful thing i believe yeah, like I could not agree more with what you're saying there. There's like this weird moment where you're training with someone who you've looked up to and like you sort of see everyone, especially like when you're really young and new in a sport, you sort of see 
everyone who's dominating, like you know, you, to use yarn as a fr- like a, as an example here, you see them as not the same thing as you. Like you, you're almost not on the same level. Like he's like they're just some they're something else. They're not like normal humans like us. And and then you meet them, and it, if anything, it's like it almost like throws you back how normal they are. Like it, I know from from my experience, like everyone in in that realm that I've met is is actually like more silly than me and like I'm, it just com- it always completely like blows my mind and, and then like you'll have some moments where like they'll say something or like one of them will fart when you're out training and you're like oh these are like proper normal normal people or they'll, yeah. make, a, they'll make a sex joke or whatever it is that just like completely takes them off that pedestal and you just go oh we're just like mates training or we're like we're the same thing it's it's crazy isn't it when that happens it's literally that. And to put it into context too, I got into the sport 2010, uh, obviously when Jan was Olympic champ and I grew up in, in Taupo where Bevan Doherty's from. So Bevan obviously got the bronze in Beijing. And so you obviously then go, oh, wow, this guy from this town has got a bronze medal. And then you kind of look up to uh, Simon and, and Jan as well. So they were kind of like, I guess, pin up and sort of throughout from day one of into triathlon obviously Jan was the the guy um the poster guy I guess and then yeah to them obviously see what he did dominating Ironmans and the way that he does it too is he's just uh such a classy athlete and I almost painted him into that realm of, of the pedestal and it wasn't until I met him he's probably it's probably only happened a couple of times in my life where someone's expect I have an expectation of someone that's that world dominating and that all inspiring and and yeah I had this perception, I guess, but he was the first time that it completely disarmed me how genuine and how nice and how just willing to help he was. Though from day one, when we weren't even training together, he was um, helping me out with apartments or he literally um, obviously knew I was there with just a, a kind of a backpack full of clothes. So he came down to the apartment one day with a duffel bag full of clothes and just, um, just kind of helped me out so massively and just genuinely just for his own, I don't know, just to help out with no uh, alter, ulterior motive at all. And yeah, really disarmed me with just how genuine and how nice he was. Um, and obviously that's a tough thing too, because yeah, I guess some people see a, see you in a race and it's the only time that they see you or see you at a press conference when obviously there's tensions are high and there's something on the line there. And so, yeah, like, yeah, honestly, he was amazing. I was blown away with how amazing he was. And then, to go further with that, I guess like this normal guy or genuine guy that he is, he's like, oh, hey, can we swim at, you know, whatever time it is, 10 o'clock today because I've got to take the kids to school or drop the kids at school. And you're like, oh, yeah, this guy actually, he actually has to go to the supermarket and do shopping for the family. He's got to cook for the family. He's got to, you know, he's, you know, like when we're here as well, he's doing a lot, a bunch of the cleaning and a bunch of the cooking. And it's just like, okay, this is a massive leveler. and 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 it's actually quite warming to be honest it's pretty special that that like out of everyone in the world it's you who gets to train with arguably the greatest of all time in the sport that you're that you're doing it's it's like the equivalent of a young basketballer from australia or new zealand going to america and you know standing out the front of lebron james house and he takes you under the wing and says come on you're training with me now like it's it's that's pretty mind-blowing Oh, totally. And uh, it's pretty humbling as well, to be honest, like, you know, just amazing that uh, I'm seen as someone that can offer, I guess, um, some, yeah, productivity to to his training. Um, but yeah, I guess 
he sort of saw what I was doing as well back in Australia and New Zealand. I think he was on, I was on his radar for quite a long time. Um, he saw kind of the performances that I was putting in, I guess, 2020, 2021. And he saw that uh, he keeps a quite close eye on the competition. I guess he's quite well versed in um, who's racing and who's doing what. So um, I think I was kind of on the radar. And then obviously uh, when I came to the, when I came to train with him, I gained this respect by just being a gutsy Kiwi, I guess, like, you know, just every session I, I wouldn't, I would never give in. And I'd always, yeah, just go to the, go to death. And I guess I kind of gained his respect and he saw, I guess he saw a lot of what he was when he was my age too, like a lot of the mistakes he was making. And um, obviously with a career like his, he's made probably every mistake that you could make in the book and he sees me making them and he just tries to, uh, point me in the right direction before I make them. And, um, yeah, so it's just been so valuable and he's almost, yeah, he's almost taken me under his wing, like, a I guess a big brother figure. Um, and I'm just so fortunate for that. And yeah, that's why one reason as well, why I decided not to go back to New Zealand. Um, obviously we, first of all, we got locked out with the lottery system and the quarantine system, but then I had an opportunity to go home and, I decided to take this. Um, you only get kind of one opportunity in life to learn from the greatest of all time and in a particular sport, like you say, if it was basketball or whatever sport it was, you only get one opportunity to train from the best at it. So yeah, I'm just here to learn and learn what I can and hopefully that'll put me in good stead for the rest of the career. And when you guys train, like when you're actually out there doing sessions in the pool, out in the bike or on Zwift or, or you're, you're out running, how much of that training time is spent like, hey, we're just here, we're friends, we're chatting versus how much of it is like really serious time like, hey, this is business, we're not really talking, we're just we're just head down, getting it done. And, and then how much of it is spent like competing? Yeah, um, I'd say most of it. Like everything's off a basis of friendship, I guess. Like everything's good banter. Like every session we have good banter and um but obviously there's some days where it's just you're so tired that your brain doesn't even work to uh have a conversation with and so uh that's just generally how the flow goes i guess it's just kind of but yeah like uh, for example yesterday we had a big oh the day before we had a big swift session and yeah hardly any hardly any words were spoke just because it was just so intensive and and you're just there to get the job done but yeah most of the time it's generally uh just good chats good banter just just talking, shooting the shit really. And that's what makes the time go by. I think that's probably the best thing about that kind of training partner is just someone that just, you know, just talk shit and then the time goes fast and you get it done. Um, but yeah, there's definitely sessions where it's like, okay, this is business. We've got to get this done or whatever, but this, you know, that's generally the, the set and then we'll have good banter before and afterwards and just kind of keep it lighthearted because at the end of the day, it's, you've got a, it's a pretty bloody hard, Sport that we do and i'd say arguably one of the hardest sports in the world and so you've got to make it somehow easier um and somehow a bit more enjoyable with just having some good banter and and then just seeing it for what it is too we're like you know just two blokes we're in the mountains riding our push bikes and running around some trails like it's if you strip it back to that obviously there's uh, a bigger picture there and there's a bit more consequence with the racing and stuff but if you strip it back to just we're just swim, biking and running every day. It's uh, it's a pretty cool life that we're living. And so when you're leading into the world champs that that you obviously went to and and did really well at, but Jan 
didn't didn't go and start it in and then and then sort of like now where I think you guys are probably more training focused on on some races that Yarn's got coming up. When when it was your turn and 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 your your big world championship race was coming, were you and Yarn constantly talking about hey like maybe you should do this, maybe you should think about doing this and and talking about your race and and like were some of the sessions was he doing things that were just solely to help you? And then, and then like vice versa, um, in a lead up to like a big race for Yarm, like say Roth or whatever it is, or maybe Kona later in the year. Um, do you think you guys will be doing stuff where, Hey, I'm sort of sacrificing a bit here for Yarn? Yeah, that's, you literally hit the nail on the head there. So obviously we were training together all, all in for Roth and the, uh, all in for St. George and then Yarn got injured. And then he literally turned, like, it surprised me massively. Like, he literally turned to my training partner and he was helping me out massively. He was, you know, guiding me here and here and here. And, um, yeah, we did a, my last bike session before St. George. Uh, um, yeah, he was literally just there to solely support me. And and he was even like, okay, uh, just let me know what I need to do, just if I need to bring you water, if I need to bring you whatever. And I just had to, like, I just burst laughing at one point because I was like, bro, <laughs> I can't believe that this guy is now my water boy. Like, <laughs> it's like crazy. yeah, it was super crazy. But um, yeah, so that that's, and this is what I mean, going back to like the genuine, genuineness of him. It's just like, okay, he put everything that he had into me for St. George once he got injured and he was just helping me out massively. And yeah, whatever I needed here, there, everywhere. He was giving me, you know, nutrition. He was giving me all sorts of uh advice he was just you know he, uh and then before the race actually um i did this one bike session and and he was kind of i guess in a bit disbelief because even i was in a bit disbelief like how well this bike session went it was a massive day and and actually it was probably a bit too big to be perfectly honest with you um and that probably substantially led to me getting a bit second race week what was the session Kyle? so it was my session was it was six by 12 minutes at seven point three pace so in the high 300s and i was flying and then it was three by 30 minutes at ironman pace um and this was a session that came from me and it was from my coach so Jan and Jan was kind of the day before was going dude what the f are you doing during this session i was like no 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 it'll be sweet bro it'll be sweet he's like i've never done a session that big um and so i went into this session and and Jan sat on the wheel and i and i nailed it and i did yeah perfectly and even after the session i had to run off the bike and i was like just kind of like yeah we're ready we are ready uh and Jan actually bought me a sharpie um and it was kind of like a symbolic gift he we were out riding the next day and and he hands me a sharpie and he says this is yours because you're going to need it for when you win the race and so he had a lot of belief in me and and um i i had a lot of belief in myself but uh yeah obviously that was i think 10 days out two weeks out from the race and then i went to st george and uh picked up a little bug i guess uh i was one of the fortunate ones that kind of rode it out um obviously we had a lot, a lot of people succumbing to it but yeah got a little bit sick in race week and um and then obviously had a race that uh i actually was really proud of the race in st george um i didn't feel great even from 500 meters into the swim I was feeling pretty gassed and I knew I was swimming well. So I was thinking, oh, it's either really on here or it's, um, and also Braden was in front of me too. So I was like, that's never happened before. <laughs> so, um, I must be in, 
And I thought, I literally remember thinking to myself, oh, I'm 500 meters in here. I've got another eight hours of this, but there's a fork in the road there and it's um, you either back down or you back up. So yeah, I put my, just went straight into, right, this is going to be eight hours of just being a gnarly bastard. So I just went for it. Um, and then I guess once I made that decision about, yeah, 2K into the swim, I was not feeling great. But yeah, once you kind of accept your fate, I guess, or just accept that it's going to be hard, I just went all in. Um, you know, I was swimming uh, and then came out of the water, obviously, with that lead group and then got onto the bike. And and I think because I was riding so well, like I was really, really stoked with how I was riding, even being 90% or whatever of how I was feeling, I still had a really good ride and the power was super good on the bike and we we were rolling really well. And um, yeah, but to be honest, I think maybe I still went a little bit too hard for how I was feeling. And then, and that's why I blew up on the run like I did. Um, I went out, yeah, trying to win the race. And obviously for that first 5K of the run, I went out racing positively and just trying to i honestly felt like i was creeping though i think a bit of perception and coming down that hill at 80k an hour and then leaving transition at 15k an hour or whatever it was going up the hill like i was going super slow but definitely ran out pretty hard and yeah just uh the race kind of i guess halfway through the race unraveled but also i don't know if people saw because there's been a lot of confusion like a lot of people message me and saying why did you take your sock off well actually i didn't I only left transition with one sock. So I took my bag off the rack and the bag spilled everywhere through the transition tent and the transition tent was pitch black. And then my black sock was on the floor and I was on my hands and knees trying to find it. And I was scurrying around and I was, I got to a point where I was like, I'm just going to have to run with one sock here. And I'm like prone to blisters anyway with socks on. And so, yeah. And especially when it was so hot in St. George, like, I did the 5k and the 5k uphill was fine. And then I started running that downhill and yeah, maybe six or seven K and I could feel blisters forming on my foot without a sock on. And I was like, Oh no, I've got a long way to go. Um, and so, yeah, like Braden came past and I decided not to go with him because I just had to protect my feet. And then, uh, yeah, got, I think 15 K in and my feet were just a mess already. Um, they kind of look like a dog had been at them. Um, so then, I called for medical and yeah, there was a medical guy there and he was like, uh, Oh, um, I got this tape and it was some kind of like paper tape that you like tack a little bandaid down with, or like a gauze down with a really thin tape. That's basically like parchment paper. And I was like, Oh man, this isn't going to do. Does anyone have any more tape? And so there's volunteer at the back. So I was, I've got some duct tape. I was like, yes, you come forward. And so like this guy came up with this massive roll of duct tape. So I just went at my feet with this big roll of duct tape and uh, taped my feet up for the last 25K of the marathon. And I'll tell you what, it was pretty bloody uncomfortable, but it was better than the pain of the blister, I guess, forming even more. Because I don't think I would have finished because it was even like 15K and I was in that much pain already, but um yeah so duct tape my feet up and that basically just squashed my feet you know it's like if your foot's in a shoe that's too small it was kind of like that but yeah that was better than the pain of feeling the blisters and then I actually again I felt I felt all right I ran back onto the group and I ran back into the top five and then yeah just kind of I guess from my pacing and just didn't listen to my body and just went a little bit too hard in a few places and yeah just a 
sequentially blew up and <laughs> had to hobble home for 11th place. Um, but again, like to lead the world champs and to, to go at it like I was going to try and win the race, I was super proud of that. And uh, hopefully that'll put me in good stead for yeah, the next world champs that I do. So I've got a heap of questions about the race itself, but just to take you back to to before the race um, and you'd done that really big session where Jan thought you were a bit crazy and then, you know, buys you the text to sign autographs with after the race. When you, that's obviously like, that's a big compliment in a way. Um, like he's obviously saying, oh, like maybe you've been a bit silly here, but you're on fire. When you guys are talking about the tactical side of the race in the lead up, so before you know how it's actually going to un- unfold and, and what shape people are actually in, are you guys talking about like, purely your race Kyle and like hey this is what we think you should do this is where you're going to be strong or is Jan sort of giving you advice around like oh well this is what I've found works here's my secrets even though I'm assuming there isn't any but um or or, or are you talking about specific people are you like talking about Christian Blumenfeld or Gustav Eden or Alistair Brownlee and and you know like talking about well maybe if this person's here you should do this or do this so that this person can't do that yeah totally i'm i'm quite uh a big nerd in that way like i love to i'm kind of i guess like the researcher um in the team like i know what kind of everyone's doing and i know what people's numbers are and i know what you know what people's kind of mentality will be in the race and i said it before the race i had an interview too and um yeah, I honestly thought that there'd be, it was a bit of a shame with the withdrawals, obviously with Jan withdrawing and with then sequentially Alistair withdrawing um, and Javier withdrawing. There was quite a lot of firepower at a league group missing. I honestly thought Christian would be there, to be perfectly honest with you. I was pretty surprised when he came out so far down out of the water. Um, but yeah, I, I do a lot of research. So I knew that that league group, I knew that uh, it'd be Daniel Backergaard, Florian, myself. To be honest, I was quite surprised that Braden was there. Um, but obviously, he's done a lot of work. He took that swim out like the clappers. Like, yeah, fair enough. He's done a lot of work over the over the last months, I guess, over the New Zealand summer to put himself in that good swim form. Um, yeah, he was really going well. So there's the five of us. I predicted that the there'd be Alistair would be there. Obviously Javier would be there. And, and I played out that scenario too. I thought Alistair could be quite destructive for the group. Obviously the way that Alistair races is uh, very aggressive. And, um, but I thought that I, I had the legs, uh, especially with the training that I was doing to, uh, to roll with it. Uh, and like I, I said before to Jan, I was just like, I've just got to roll with the punches and, and then hopefully, everyone else kind of implodes themselves and I can kind of keep a cool on it. Um, but yeah, I predicted that, that, like, like I said, Sam Laidlow, uh, Daniel, and I thought Christian would be in there too. Um, and a few others. Uh, and then I played that out scenario on the bike and, and to be honest, um, yeah, Jan said, look, you've got your power, ride your power. If people come with you fair enough, if they don't come with you, then obviously they're riding their own race. And, and it came as, I guess, no surprise to me the way that we ride. I think it came as a surprise to everybody else the way that we rode. And we obviously um, pretty much held that rest of the, I guess, quote unquote, Uber bikers. But I've said this multiple times now, there's no such thing as Uber bikers. Everyone in triathlons is just becoming that good now. Um, 
but we kind of held that group steady at about five minutes um, and we were rolling well. And, and then I just started taking uh, a fair chunk of the, the work towards the end. Cause to be honest with you, it was easier up there because then I could just ride at one power instead of if you're sitting at third, fourth wheel in that group, it's just, it's just so surgy to stay at a legal draft. So, you know, you're 12 meters behind and then suddenly you're freewheeling to stay at 12 meters behind. And then, uh, for some reason, then you're at 450 watts to stay at that. And it's just like, it's so surging. You're up and down and down. So I decided to go to the front and then I could just ride at one steady power, which was a lot better for me. Um, and obviously on TV, it looks like I'm just riding on the front tying these guys around, but actually it turns out to be easier for me. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I kind of, I, I was actually quite surprised that a few of those guys stayed in the group on the bike. I thought some of them would be there for 90K and then some of them would drop off like, um and then yeah i was yeah on the run i mean um it was just what you can do on the run there's no strategy there there's just literally just do whatever you can and just hold on for dear life but we kind of discussed through every scenario and and like now we're having discussions about kona and um pretty much mapping out the way that we think kona might run as well and so when you were talking about specific guys in the lead up did you did you two like maybe you particularly, but did you and Jan sort of think, well, we think this is the guy that that if he has the the perfect day, he's probably going to win it. Like, do you did you guys talk about Christian doing that, or or were you sort of like me and thought that if he has the perfect day, Gustav's pretty pretty much unbeatable on a course like that, or like or is your mind not really thinking in that way? No, uh, yeah, I was honestly I was hoping that. Um, yeah, like it's, it's so hard to predict. I never would have predicted final to be on the podium. I probably wouldn't have predicted, to be honest, I predicted uh, Braden to be to be up there because I thought when I looked at the course profile, I was like, this is perfect for someone of his stature, the way he runs, the way he runs up hills, downhills, like his background is just absolutely perfect for this. Christian really surprised me, but then I guess like he surprises me at every single race that he rocks up to, like the Olympics when there was 5k to go and I saw this uh, literally the British and the New Zealand national 10k champ I thought there's no chance that he's going to outkick these two and then he does he just surprises you at every race that he that he participates and so there's just no riding the guy off um obviously he's a phenomenal athlete um but I didn't really think that it'd be a course for him to be perfectly honest with you um so yeah that really surprised me. Like he came flying past me on the run and the guy just never slows down. And, uh, that did actually, I definitely didn't predict that. I thought that there'd be probably, uh, implosions there because I thought, you know, that course he's going to be riding too hard and too easy or whatever. I thought he was going to be riding the, the climbs too hard, but I guess those guys are so dialed in with their physiology and their, what they have to ride at that they've just mapped it out perfectly. Yeah, I was a bit gutted to see Gustav because Gustav had a really good friend as well. Like we we go way back together. We raced age group world champs together in 2013 and he won, I was second. So we actually go super far back. Um, and so we're really good friends. We've done ITU together. We've, we've done the circuit together. And I was really, really gutted to see him having to miss out. Um, yeah, I was, and, and the same with Alistair too, because in my, in my heart of hearts, obviously I'm a, as soon as the gun goes off, I'm a competitor, but I'm actually uh, still a big fan of the sport and I like to see these guys doing well. Um, yeah, like uh, 
you know, it's always gutting to see someone pull out of a race through no fault of their own, getting sick or getting COVID or whatever. And that was a big shame. But um, yeah, there was no doubt in my mind that Gustav would have been amazing on that course. I think I'm not even sure if, uh, if Christian would have been able to shine a light. But yeah, honestly, like I say, it's, uh, it's always surprising me. I hate that about Gustav not racing because I'm still to this day convinced he would have won by five minutes. Like I, I think it wouldn't have been close. I'm, I just, I'm convinced, and I hate that I don't know how that would have played out. Like you're right. I wish Jan was there. I wish Alistair was there. I wish Javier was there. I, I wish Gustav was there. Don't, like as a fan, rather than like you said, you're a competitor. But as a fan, you just, you just wish we had have got to see that. Even though like what unfolded was awesome. It was one of the, like the craziest races we've ever seen. Like there was really nothing that happened that anyone predicted would happen. Um, and I guess it all sort of culminated with the the sprint finish between Lionel and Braden, which like no one predicted a sprint finish for yeah. second and third with Braden and Lionel. Like people will tell you in hindsight, Oh yeah, no, I thought that might happen, but like that no one thought something like that was going to happen. Um, so yeah, it sort of, it does suck a bit. And and then you just said that you're, you're mapping out how you and Jan are mapping out how you think Kona might play out. And it, it just makes me think like, oh, I just hope we get everyone there and I hope it's a, a great race. But what do you guys think is going to happen? Well, we've kind of speculated a lot. What I think uh, personally, what I think is going to happen is, because like I said before, there was a lot of the firepower was missing out of our group. A lot of the abandonments and a lot of the people who pulled out of the race was from our group. Like I guess we say our group, but the, the front ride pack. So obviously that middle ride pack with Cam Worth, with Sam Long, with those guys, they were all, that's how, you know, four weeks before the race was like, you knew that group was going to be riding together and they were going to be riding up together. But I think in Kona, we're going to have, fingers crossed a lot more firepower in our group and obviously with the non-wetsuit swim as well hopefully the gap out of the swim will be bigger uh and then when i hope that we'll all work really well on the bike um i just think as a like i say like a fan of the sport um it's going to be the one race i think it's almost going to be like the race of a generation because you're going to have the old guard versus these you know like hopefully myself and all these new guys coming up and yeah it's going to be like the race that we've been waiting for for three years and st george was amazing but in my mind it wasn't kona so like we're still waiting for kona if that makes sense and we're still waiting for this massive race to to, to go down it's it's sort of funny because something that craig alexander predicted when we when I did my episode with him, which feels like a lifetime ago, but I think it was like early this year, yeah. he said that he foresees that a lot of people won't make it to Kona. He thinks there's too many races and too many big races. Like he specifically pointed out that there's um, an Ironman World Championships at St. George at, at the start of the year. Then there's like this um, PTO, like uh, some championship PTO races. And then, you know, you've got all your other traditional Ironman 70.3s and Ironmans and and challenge races going ahead and and then Kona's sort of the last thing but he he thinks that or he predicted that that everyone would do so much and 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 still want to win these big races that by the time Kona get a, comes around you'll get a lot of people who are just cooked you'll get a lot of people who are who are sick you'll get a lot of people who are injured and then hearing you say then that you think it, it's going to be like a once in a generation lo- race I think I think we're in like 
the best era of male triathlon triathlon we've ever seen and, and probably the, the the strongest female triathlon has ever been as well like triathlon has just gone to a crazy level so whenever we get all of the best long course athletes on a start line whenever it happens it will be the best race of all time it like we, we've never had such depth in, in either fields it's just like can everyone actually get there yeah, I know for sure. It's uh, I I think they will like just uh, I think I I'm not sure. Like obviously, some athletes are a little bit more prone to racing too much, and um, I think obviously that means like you know the older guard or whatever if they can't sort of back up like you know. But I know Gustav is talking. Last time I talked to him, he's talking about doing the Daytona, uh, the the, um, the PTO American race in Dallas doing Kona, doing 70.3 Worlds, doing Bermuda World Series, and then doing Abu Dhabi World Series. So, like, if you think that it's a, if you think it's a lot doing that, then, you know, the guys like Gustav and probably Christian too, uh, obviously boating for Paris 2024, they're going to be, you know, even carrying on racing past Kona. So, I and, and those guys seem to be able to just back up, back up, back up, you know, like the way that uh, both Gustav and Christian are, obviously backed up from St. George. They just seem to be able to recover and, and back up. But obviously there are some athletes for sure that um, are going to favor just racing the once or the twice. And it could actually be, you know, beneficial for those athletes that decide, oh, maybe I'm going to give this race a skip or going to not race this race um, to just focus on the one in Kona. Because uh, like you said, I do think that it's a big ask. And I found that out, you know, after St. George, I thought, everyone every the thing about every athlete and especially every athlete in triathlon is we're all think we're superman we all think that oh yeah i can race an ironman and then two weeks later i can race another or you know some athletes do it really well but you know definitely for me especially st george only being my second ironman i tried to race two weeks after st george and i was just curtains i just had i basically it was just mental fog for the whole time and just felt horrendous that whole time between the two races and i he raced not great in Samarin. And then after Samarin, I was not in a good way. I just so run down and just, yeah, I had to take two weeks off just to try and feel myself again. Uh, but yeah, there are some athletes that can do it and kudos to them. And yeah, I definitely think it's going to be a season of managing those big races and, and I guess favoring the big results over like the money that the PTO races are offering. Um, so yeah, I'm just hoping that everyone gets to Kona in, in one shape. I think for me personally, I want to see Jan lift that crown again because um, who knows? I don't know the way Ironman are moving and I'm reading between the lines with Ironman with what was said in St. George whether Kona might be the last Kona. I'm not really sure. It could be quite controversial. I think they're definitely toying with the idea. So it'll be amazing for the Jan uh, to lift the crown again and, and hopefully myself be on the podium as well and um yeah and then we can that'll be the perfect scenario but i hope everybody's there i hope the norwegians are there i hope alistair's there i hope you know everybody's there so then it can be a fair race and then we can finally put to bed all right this guy is the greatest of all time <laughs> here's a question i have and and i want to get your take on it because you you know so many of these guys way better than any of us um if you take the race element out of out of the Ironman at the moment, so everyone lines up on the same start line in the same conditions, but on their own. I know you can't really do that, but let's say you uh, could. Yeah. Who are the three fastest? 
Uh, Jan on his day, for sure. Um, because that's how he races. He's the one of the best swimmers. He always swims from the front. He's one of the best riders, so he's always riding on the front. Like, he's never a pack rat. He's never sitting in the pack. He's That's how he races, and he races from the front. He races quite aggressively. Um, number two... Um, and obviously I'm biased in this. <laughs> obviously I've got a foot in the Try camp. Try and take so. the bias out if you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then I'm I'm gonna say uh, the Norwegian boys because they're just so well versed in their in their physiologies. They know to the to the absolute decimal what um, what number. I'm gonna say Christian probably in number two, and then um, to be honest as well, like. Do you know what? Joe Skipper as well is another one who races quite well solo. He generally doesn't go with the group. He generally goes with the with his numbers and, and he always kind of backs up with that. And he's kind of generally riding by himself or swimming by himself at the time too. So he goes good. Um, Lionel now, obviously on a resurge. He's obviously under Mikhail Eden coaching. He's obviously found his gear and... Um, He's found his stride, I guess, whatever stride that is. Obviously, we've all seen his running form. But I guess uh, in a metaphorical way, and he's found his stride. Um, yeah, I mean, let's say Jan, Christian, Lionel. And I know I'm putting myself out of this, but I have not figured the Ironman out whatsoever <laughs> yet. I don't know what's going on. Because that's the thing in training. I'm, I'm as good as anyone. But then I guess when you get into a race and you, you've got seven hours on the legs, I just haven't figured it out. So... And that's why um, uh, I swore, I swore after St. George, I'll say, I'm never doing another one of these things again. I'm going back to, I'll go back to super sprint. I'm going back to ITU, get as far away from this as possible. Um, <laughs> but then yeah, I've, I'm doing Roth. So <laughs> oh, you guess, are doing uh, Roth. I am doing Roth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing Roth. Um, obviously I'm in, I've just come back from break. I guess I'm now two weeks or three weeks back, but my fitness is just escalating really quickly. Just gone full send, like I like I used to back in the day. So uh, I'll be in Roth and more as a um, figuring stuff out. More of a, I guess, uh, just trying to figure out physiology, what's going on, what my nutrition's going on, um, hydration and stuff like that. More of a fact-finding mission than a, and then hopefully get a good result out of it. But you know, if I, and as well, like you were just alluding to, I've got the PTO Canada race just three weeks after. So you know, if I'm there and um, if I've got a abandoned halfway through the run or whatever, and I'm not there to, I'm not putting pressure on myself. I took no. Uh, start fees or anything like that from the race just from that premise um just because i was like look i'm just here to for a fact-finding mission and and just to to race uh and just figure stuff out as well almost like a a dress rehearsal as well for kona um and it's going to be a good race i've heard so many good things about roth and uh it's always been a bucket uh bucket list race and so hopefully uh it'll be one of those and so do you and Jan have your entire like build up to Roth completely prepared right now? Like, is there a spreadsheet somewhere that has all of Jan Fredino and Kyle Smith's training from now until race day? Well, Roth's only one week away now, but to be honest with you, I don't know, because obviously I'm still on the upward trajectory. I'm still trying to get fitness back and um, I guess Jan's is fully mapped out, but like I was talking to earlier in the episode, I'm just like, I literally, and it's, 
And it's no word of a lie. I literally wake up in the morning and I'm like, okay, what's on the menu today? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, today obviously being a recovery day, we've got a big weekend and then we'll just kind of, I guess, do a general race week glide into, into race day. Um, but yeah, Jan's training is a lot more meticulous than what mine is at the moment. I'm just kind of here as a supporting role. Um, I'm doing, yeah, just as literally as a supporting role here on camp and, getting him more ready than I am because he's actually shooting for the win. Um, and he's obviously one of to demo it. And so I'm here, like I said, before St. George, he helped me out. So now it's time to return the favor and I'm here to help him out and hopefully help him out as much as I can in the race as well. And so a couple of weeks out from a race that, that Jan is actually taking seriously and trying to win versus when he was holding onto your wheel, when you were doing that, that big session before St. George, when he wasn't racing, how different is his is his fitness from then to now and how different is his like mindset and attitude and like do you notice a difference day to day with Jan or is or is it all pretty much the same and then and then it just comes out on race day yeah um I can definitely see it building up now so like obviously before St George it was a lot different because actually I've never seen him in getting this ready for a race. I saw him when he was getting ready for Ironman California, but that was the first time that I met him. So that was the only time that I knew that. Um, but obviously now before St. George, he was obviously injured. So then he wasn't, uh, he was swimming and riding really well, but obviously not running, but now he's, he's so motivated. And this is the thing he's, I did, I do see a massive shift, I guess probably a week ago, it just becomes like, okay, no stone unturned we're eating super clean we're not effing around here we're getting good sleep we're um we're just ramping stuff up and we're just not cutting corners if and and also not going over too so like you like we're quite prone to okay we've got three hours on the program ah yeah four hours sweet or whatever you know i've got two hours on the program doesn't really matter if it's two and a half hours three hours or if we do a little loop that takes us around here but now it's like to the nth degree it's um every power is we're hitting the power zones and it's just so meticulous um and just yeah not risking risking anything too uh and just kind of my i guess my role too is almost uh and it's been quite a big learning curve for me is to bubble wrap him he's just so motivated and so driven and so stubborn just to get everything done and obviously i'm from the inside, when you're yourself, you can't see if you're a bit tired or if you're, uh, your form's falling apart or whatever because of, like, obviously you're just absolutely demoing yourself every day, every day, where if, if I see him maybe just getting a little bit tired or, uh, you know, we're not hitting the times or whatever, I, I've got to be there to say, hey, bro, let's just, let's just back it down today or whatever because he's just, like, he'll just keep going and going and going and going. And, um, if... You know, I see it's just flogging a dead horse some days. Then I'm I've got to be the one that's kind of like, hey, bro, not today, man. Let's let let's rein it back. Which has been a super hard role for me because obviously, like someone I've looked up to for so long, and then uh, then I've suddenly got to almost put on the mature hat and say, I can see that you're just a red rag to a bull right now, and you're just like you're so motivated and you're going so well that you just can't, you know flick the off switch and so i've just got to be there just to kind of pull and pull it back down to earth some days but yeah so i definitely see a difference it's uh it's just more meticulous it's just yes yeah, uh he's just training super hard now and um 
yeah, just super motivated to go and race really well in Roth. And you mentioned your your diet then, and you mentioned it early where you said that, you know, Jan eats super clean. He's just a healthy guy. Has, has that changed much for you as a young Kiwi lad? Um, you know, I'm not sure what you were doing, like where you were living or, or training before you went over to, to Spain to train versus now where you're getting ready for, for Roth with Jan and you're doing the race as well. And, and, you know, he's eating perfectly right now. Can you sort of talk to me about like, has your diet changed? Has your sleep changed? Do little things like that change from, from when you were back home living in New Zealand versus right now getting like anally prepared for, for an A race with the, the greatest triathlete of all time? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, um, I guess I'm someone, cause I'm so young, I can get away with it. Like, um, or I could get away with it. I should say like, you know, if I eat whatever, it doesn't really affect me that much, I guess. Like, but Jan's so well educated on, on food. He's so well, he's so well educated on everything. So he knows like, if he eats this, this is going to cause inflammation. If he eats this, you know, like, uh, for example, doesn't really eat red meat doesn't agree with him he just feels really lethargic and really inflamed after eating red meat so he just doesn't it doesn't even bother with it we eat quite a lot of vegetarian stuff um and just good protein and good everything so yeah he's uh and that's definitely opened my eyes and it's kind of the second time that's happened the other time that this happened was when i trained with Braden curry before his kona 2017 he was quite similar and i guess when they get into these big races they're just eating super super clean and it's they're just fueling super well whereas i definitely was kind of like a oh, finger in the air you know if i'm hungry i'll eat whatever or we'll get takeout this night or we'll get some pizza or whatever whereas now it's kind of like okay we're eating this, this, we're eating a lot of vegetables, we're eating a lot of greens, we're eating a lot of recovery foods, we're eating uh, just a lot of foods that just make you feel good. And I can tell it with how I'm feeling, like my, my skin just gets so much better when I'm eating like this. And that's my first indication of, okay, this is going really well. And also like what foods burn really well like i was i've got a massive sweet tooth i'm not um i'm not afraid to admit that i got a massive sweet tooth but that also makes you crash like you know big time if you're having a sugary whatever um after your breakfast or after a training session if you're having something sugary or whatever then that just makes you kind of crash and burn whereas eating you know uh whatever it is some um some really healthy muesli or something for breakfast and eating really clean you in my energy for sure is just more spread out during the day and but then on the same on the same hand as that Jan is just so efficient at burning his fuel he and you can see it in his physiology and I guess that's why he's so good at racing Ironman is that he's just so good at burning that fuel source um as like a fat burning source or whatever because he can just go and go and go and go and then he yeah and i guess that probably i don't know if it's in part of or due to his diet and how well he eats but it's probably got something to do with it and maybe that's the reason why my physiology is more prone to 70.3s at the moment and that's me just doing something on the air math but just kind of deducting that, that maybe he's just so good at Ironman because he's so efficient at burning that fuel source. 
And you're like in pretty good nick, as most professional triathletes are. But Jan Fredino's body just makes everyone look fat. Like, have you ever seen like a, a, a like a more shredded human being than Jan Fredino? And like, I guess, I guess that's sort of that what you're saying makes sense. Like, he's probably just been doing this for for years, hasn't he? Yeah, but like he also says that himself that he's just always been like that. His muscle definition has always been super high, and um, yeah, I guess he's always just super toned. And especially right now when he's getting for ready for race day, like yeah, we're up in the mountains, you'd burn more up here, and you know he's like a human anatomy chart. Like <laughs> if you go into a science lab and they could use him as a muscle <laughs> poster at the moment, but. And it's funny as well, I actually do want to touch on this, is because he doesn't aim to look like that. It's not like something that he's aiming for. It just kind of happens to him. And I guess, yeah, me being here, I've been eating the exact same as him and probably maybe even less some that I actually have probably eat less than he does most days. But, like, I look a lot different to he does and my muscle um, or my body morphology is just a lot different. And, like even if two people eat the exact same and do the exact same training, we can look a lot different. And uh, like you say, I'm not in bad nick whatsoever, but I do carry a more mesomorphic. Is it, that's the one, isn't it? The kind of the bigger, um, the bigger frame. I'm definitely the, the, the bigger framed athlete of the two of us. And, and I guess like, so I, like people like look at yarn or they might look at whoever athlete and think, wow, these people are, I need to look like this to be able to perform, but you definitely don't. And um, yeah, it's obviously not, it's more of a because of and not of in spite of. Um, it's not why he performs. It's just another byproduct of the way he looks, I guess. And it's just his uh, body type. And obviously my body type's different and everybody's body type's different. So I guess as athletes, people will probably like, look up to you and say, oh shit, if I don't look like that, then I'm not going to be able to perform, but it's definitely not the case. And and he even says so himself. He's like, bro, I'm not trying to look like this. I don't give a shit what I look like. I just want to cross the finish line first. I mean, you know, he's definitely not trying to look at, he's just naturally looks like that, you know? Yeah. I think that's like a bit of a takeaway from everything you're saying though, isn't it? And, and like, we are talking about yarn a lot, but but clearly a big part of your triathlon journey at the moment and, and a really fascinating part of, of what's happening in your life at the moment. But from day one, he sort of disarmed you with how normal he was and, you know, like he's not starving himself anorexic to look the way he does and there's no real secrets in your training and, and even to the point where he's like quite blown away by a session you're doing and thinking like, man, this guy's crazy. Um, it sort of does normalise something that like everyone listening to this is probably not ever thought of as like, Oh, he's a normal guy. Um, but it really, it really does like, it's quite comforting to know that, Hey, just like you can just do you and, and, and you don't have to do anything crazy or like super special or, or, you know, be this nut job to, to, to do really well at what you're trying to do well at. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, yeah, that's the thing. It's, uh, it's it's actually really amazing and yeah <laughs> i was gonna say before i was i was thinking about when you said that um that you just like were at the front of yarns restaurant um and, and like you had your running gear on and you just happened to stumble stumble by him it reminds me of one of my friends who, whose name i won't name but he bought this little puppy um and it was like a real cute like 
I don't know what it was. It had like oodle at the end of it, but it wasn't a poodle. It was like mm. small and golden. Um, yeah. It was so cute. And he had this girl that he really liked. And this is like a 25, 26-year-old guy. Like, So he's not a, not a little <laughs> kid. He's, uh, he's not, you know, he, he's, he's mature enough to probably not do this, but he, he knew that this girl um, worked at this cafe. And so every day he would go there with his dog and he would just like hope that he just ran into her. And like, as soon as he did, he was going to be like, oh yeah, this is my life puppy. Hey, you want to, you want to go get a drink sometime? And it just made me, made me wonder if re- you really did just happen to stumble by Jan Fredino when you were both in your running clothes out the front of his restaurant or whether you'd like actually got to that same place, like four mornings in a row before that. And he hadn't been there and you're like, oh, not today. And then on the fifth day he was there and you're like, oh, fancy running into you here. Not at all. No, no, no. Uh, I quite pride myself on not kind of, I, I, I often say that if anyone walked down the street or, you know, even if uh, Justin Bieber or whoever walks down the street, then mm-hmm. I, I would never kind of like fanboy them or whatever. I've never really fanboyed anyone. Um, and I guess that's probably one of the reasons why, you know, we get along that way. just because, yeah, just like, I guess I t- uh, just see us as mates, you know. Um, yeah yeah definitely not that there's definitely a few people that have probably tried that though and uh it's funny hey when 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 you're mate uh i'm not gonna it's like it's quite cute and romantic when it's kind of like a love story but like when does that become stalking it's 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 never cute and romantic that is always creepy i reckon (laughs) for sure (laughs) Uh, because like you can't just manufacture that like because if they it never it never played out the way you thought it it was going to but Let's say oh, here we go. I was going to ask that. Yeah, yeah. Did they end up together? <laughs> nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I was going to say, well, let's just leave that there. But is the puppy still alive, or it didn't work, or <laughs> he's just like he sold the puppy because it didn't work. It didn't get him as girl. <laughs> <laughs> he only bought it for that one specific thing. Yeah. Even if it does work, like even if it does work, and he gets the date, and let's say they get to their wedding day, like she always thinks they just randomly ran into each other and it's like this amazing like movie you know love story yeah. but it was actually like you were just being stalked like you, it wasn't romantic at all and that's gonna come out in the wash someday isn't it it's gonna because i mean you know the story so it's gonna come out someday it's gonna be a best man speech or it's gonna be something or you know it's gonna be betsy the golden doodle <laughs> is actually only brought into this world because uh you know he's uses bathing tools he's, it's <laughs> an expensive know, like, dog too it costs like five grand Oh wow! I, I'm probably people have spent a lot more money on trying to get a girlfriend. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do hear about like crazy first dates, like trying to impress, like, "Hey, I'll fly you to France or whatever." Yeah, I can pretty fairly say that I've never done that. <laughs> Actually, that is one question I had. Um, obviously, with Jan, he has a, a partner, a wife now, who is an Olympic gold medalist in triathlon. You know, arguably one of the greatest female triathletes to ever do it. So she just gets his lifestyle. But you mentioned your girlfriend before. How does your, like how, obviously like we don't really talk about the personal life of triathletes most. Like we just, we just obsessed with hearing about how much training they do and what they eat. But how does your partner go with like, hey, I'm in the mountains for a few weeks. I've got no Wi-Fi. I'm training for 30, for 30 hours and like I, I'm not a normal human. Like I'm going to come home tired. And how, how does that side of your life look? Yeah, I guess like, um, yeah, she knew, I guess, like me before the sport. So 
uh, oh, I guess like, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I was doing the sport, sorry, before she knew me. So it's just kind of, I guess, part of my thing. And, uh, and she gets it for sure. She's like, yeah, that's cool. And she lives a very busy lifestyle too. So she's got her stuff and, and that's probably the best kind of, uh, I guess, relationship where, you know, yeah, you can both do your own things and you both can do your own careers, I guess. And then, um, yeah, when it works, you come back to each other. And uh, but yeah, like I say, like now it's when you're in camp, you've, you're you're on a specific. Um, but most of the time, I'm in Girona where she is, so it's kind of like it works out perfectly. But I always say that, like you know, I could be. I guess I'm that way inclined mentally that if I wasn't doing sport, I'd be doing something that's like a pursuing career anyway. And if you look at the CEOs of the world or the businessmen of the world or someone, I guess, who's like a workaholic, they're working 80, 100 hours a week and and they're just never switching off. And when they're coming home, they're never switching off. And I guess they're, you know, like I'm doing 30 hours a week or whatever it is, an all-consuming sport where you've got to be, basically it's a, it is a full-time job, you know, just the training, but I always say that you actually get to see a lot more of the person than you do if I actually probably had a normal job. If I worked nine to five or nine to six or whatever, like you might see them for a quick coffee before work and then you'll see them for dinner after work and most of the time you're pretty tired. And I actually think like what I do now is a, is a perfect kind of, um, yeah, and obviously then I go into camps. I go into a pretty intensive camp and she was up here for a couple of days last week and then she had a, bunch of stuff that she was going to do so yeah it works out really well and yeah we just kind of live this life together and yeah it's fine and and like how do you go with other aspects of your life like are are all of your mates just in the triathlon world now or do you have like you know best mates back home that that you know you wish you could like they post a photo going out for a a nice dinner or like i don't know Mm. what what do new zealand people do you like ride mountain bikes in, (laughs) in the mountains and stuff all outdoorsy stuff yeah, and you see yeah, pictures yeah, of that yeah. on Instagram you're like fuck I just wish I could be hanging out with the boys right now <laughs> yeah no like people always see I guess like doing sport as a sacrifice but I have a choice you know it's like I get to live this life I get to be in the mountains like I was saying before running swimming biking riding my push bike or whatever and um but also yeah I get a good quality of life I guess there's probably a lot more people that look at my life like my mates maybe go oh shit cars in the mountains or shit cars and Girona and he's just riding his bike around and it's actually a pretty cool life and I get to travel the world and and do that stuff but there is definitely sometimes where you know you've had a tough day or you've had a tough week or whatever and then you see your mates kind of posting up and I'm definitely more of an outdoorsy guy like partying doesn't really um like interest me that much I guess I've I've been to uni I've done uni so I guess I've already lived that life kind of thing and um yeah so that doesn't really interest me that much but a funny caveat so in 2017 I came back from the US I'd had a pretty rough season um I was doing some exterior stuff and and I started working in the off season with my dad and my best mate and we were building we're on the building site and we're just having a whale of a time like yeah, building houses and just having a good crack in the sun. And then after work, we'd load up the utes with the mountain bikes and then we'd go into the up to the mountain bike park and shred some jumps and then have some beers or whatever afterwards. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, oh, kind of like, this is a pretty cool life. But 
did that for like a week or two weeks and then I was I'm actually pretty bored of this just kind of doing the same thing but working's actually pretty hard <laughs> like triathlon's actually quite easy compared to bricklaying so I'm like uh and then yeah so I lived that life and I saw there's a bit of a fork in the road there it was like do I want to you know this is I was 19 years old I was kind of like well I've got uni on the go I've got uh all this on the go or do I go down the the sport route so yeah down the sport route and I've absolutely never looked back and yeah I, I love this life I love what I get to do I reckon like particularly now I think it's probably always been a part of of humans but I think it's even more prevalent now because of the fact that we have social media like we all have phones we all have Instagram we all have you know access to talking to anyone we want at any moment of, of time like we're so we're so inclined to think that the grass is greener somewhere else and it could be like you know we're just talking about relationships like it could be that you know you've been dating someone for three years and and you know someone messages you on instagram or someone messages you from work and you go oh like you know things are a bit stale here like or you see someone else doing something you think oh maybe like i'd be happier there or you know take your example um you you know you, you see your friends like doing something cool like maybe they're going skiing in the the new zealand mountains in winter and you're off you know isolated in a training camp with with just one other guy or whatever it is you know there's thousands of examples of that but yeah, 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 yeah. it's like it's only once you actually do that other thing that you realize oh fuck like uh, that's not actually what makes me happy it's like this weird thing where it's just the idea of it and like i think what you're sort of like pointing out is is that you're most happy when you're just like chasing a goal that you really care about and like you're you're in the pursuit of being like great really like that's what you are and and that the normal life although like has some little things that that might appeal to you when you're having like a rough time it's not actually what's going to bring you true happiness and i think there's like so many examples of that in so many people's lives like that you know whether it be the job they work or like the lifestyle they live or whatever it is and and it is it's always like totally nice to have those moments where you realize oh no like that actually is what i want yeah, like, I mean, it's always the pursuit. I think you hear so many people talking about, like, w- they have an idea of, like, what something's going to be or their idea of nirvana or when something's going to happen. Like, okay, I'm going to go and race IMM Worlds or I'm going to go and perform at Wembley Stadium or I'm going to go and get this dream job or whatever it is. I'm going to feel a certain way and they paint this thing that they're going to feel a certain way when X, Y, Z happens. You know, and that's just like, uh, and then they get there, they reach the mountaintop or whatever, and they go, hmm, uh, actually the pursuit of becoming here, or I know like a lot of people talk about that with the Olympics, like actually the Olympics is something like that. Like the pursuit of getting to the Olympics is actually far more rewarding than the Olympics itself. And that's why there's so many like uh, post-Olympic blues or whatever, because it wasn't how they thought they were going to feel. And it's the same with social media and um yeah I, I yeah i'm not a massive fan of social media and that's probably why you don't see me on it that very that often because i just i just realized like you know after whatever couple of years or you know instagram was this new shiny thing a couple of years ago or whatever and or i guess maybe it's probably 10 years ago now but i've been on it since basically day one and then now i see what it is for what it is and it is just the highlights reel of what people want to curate to show them their best life. And 
it is almost like a, a flexing competition, you know, like when back in the day when you used to have to go around to someone's house to look at photos of their holiday and they only show you the best photos and they don't tell you about the bus ride that the bus broke down or they don't tell you about whatever. It's just the best. And then it's almost just creates this kind of, like you say, the grass is greener or this jealousy almost. Um, and so I have to now take social media for what it is. And I see it as like, okay, I can't look at someone else's life on social media and say this is gospel. And that's, I don't, I try and spend as little time as it on it as possible because it does take away from like looking around and what I'm here doing. Um, yeah. And like the pursuit of what I'm doing and, and that's what's fulfilling about me. And cause I did find that, yeah, probably like a year ago now that I just spent so much time on social media and it just drained me. And if and now recently looking at it, it just takes so much dopamine. It just gives you so much dopamine that like, and other things can't give you that same hit. So you're scrolling through Instagram, it's just this constant refreshment of dopamine going to your brain. And when you go out for a run, you don't feel that euphoria of going out for a run. It's just kind of like, because it can't compare to, yeah, just scrolling through or watching reels or whatever on Instagram. So I definitely try and stay off Instagram now. And like I, I got into just, yeah, listening to podcasts or just trying to educate myself. And I guess that's why, yeah, I, I came across your podcast and I really enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, just kind of just trying to see it for what it is, really. Because um, yeah, like you say, the grass is greener, and um, you just if you keep looking at the the other side of the fence, you're not going to water your own grass, are you? Yeah, and it's it's like what you were saying a, a little bit earlier about um, it's like the the process of getting there. It's that that famous, I think it's Ralph Emerson. I always forget that, but one of my favorite quotes of, of all time, it's, it's the destination. Uh, it's not the destination. It's the journey. Like yeah, everyone's always thinking about the end goal. And, and like you said, you get there and it, it wasn't quite what you thought it was going to be. If you can, if you can realize that and and just enjoy the struggle, enjoy the like the highs and the lows of trying to achieve something or like trying to build a business, trying to progress in your tr- job, you know, trying to become the world's best triathlete all the while, you know, having a coffee in in, in the morning with, with your girlfriend, talking to Jan at the at the swimming pool, you know, having a chat with the physio. Like if you can just embrace all of that and and all all of what comes along with it and and have that end goal there, but it not be the, you know, the, the, the real, like the only driving factor. Like if you can just learn to, to take like enjoyment from the little things like you're talking about each and every single day, as you progress along the the journey to get there, you know, that's, that's the magic, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I definitely try, you know, like it, it, it's, it's so, so easy to say and so hard to do though, you know, like you always get caught up or you're always like, for me, I always put pressure on, whatever like I always try to think oh I'm so privileged or whatever to be here and but then like you're doing a training session it's not going quite well enough it's not quite good enough or whatever and I'm always kind of like that and not and it hasn't been until recently where I've got shit man swimming in this outdoor pool in the sun in Spain so what if my you know if I'm not if I'm two seconds off on my reps like you know, I just kind of have to strip it back a little bit and just kind of be grateful for the fact that I'm actually, you know, pursuing this. And like you say, and I think it's quite like once you get into that mindset, it's quite freeing. And I don't know, I'm definitely, I'm definitely not qualified to be giving psychological <laughs> advice to anyone, but that's all right. We can, we can try. Yeah. Well, I guess like 
just jump off Instagram and your life will be better. Kyle Smith. <laughs> 2022. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, I've just been cancelled by Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zuckerberg won't let this uh, the algorithm take this podcast podcast off. It'll be the least listened to because of that. <laughs> or because of me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, mate. Good note to end it on. Some uh, some wisdom from Jack and Kyle to, to end the show on. Always good. Actually, I think that's probably a first for this. We're usually just training training purely so it's good we got a bit deep there i reckon yeah it's uh it's been like a big warm hug for anyone listening isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly all right mate uh thanks heaps for that what do you what do you, are you so you're just having a rest day today you're not you know you don't have anything else that you're doing today uh just got an easy swim and a bit of gym um just trying to feel like a normal human again i think probably copious amounts of caffeine and food in the in the system today uh getting ready for a big weekend awesome uh yeah yeah well i look forward to to watching along with you and yarn at roth and and seeing how that plays out and then definitely the the rest of the year like i can't wait for kona especially to uh to see to see how it unfolds for for guys like yourself and and um we'll have to get you on at some stage when you when you you know are involved in another crazy race or when something happens and we'll 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 talk about it because uh i'm sure everyone will will want the update oh totally uh pre-kona pre-kona yeah. chat it'll be it'll be pretty cool pre-kona chat will be awesome especially like your 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 training with the the greatest to ever to ever do it at kona and and you had that unreal performance this year at, at st george that'll actually be great chat let's definitely do that Sweet. Sounds good, Jack. Hey, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure. Yep. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Have a good day, Carl. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Thanks, mate.